listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 292. I'm your host, Annika Harrison, and joining me this week is my co-host Pontus Bergmann. Hello! Hey son, hey son! Hello! Yeah, we're back. <laughs> we are back. Andres But is not back. Isn't. No, yeah. <laughs> we uh, sent him off to somewhere. I think he is in Italy. Yeah, he is. I would rather be in it. No, I wouldn't rather be in Italy because I love doing the show. But I wouldn't <laughs> mind being in Italy. Good save, good yeah. save. <laughs> On the other hand, I know that he's working uh, very hard. Yeah. Uh, he's doing his uh, tour guiding thing and... Uh, It's not a vacation for him. It's, nah, it's actually nah, work. <laughs> it's definitely hard work. I mean, I would like to go to Italy, but I would much rather be in his group than being him, if you know what I mean, because it's right. so much hard work. I have actually <laughs> sort of been in his group. I and my family, we uh, visited with him, two, I think it's two years ago now. Mm -hmm. Must have been before Corona, so yeah. at least two years ago. And he gave us a, a full day tour of Shekesvehervar, uh, which is the place there he live, where he lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, in his, uh, not not his own, but in a uh, electric vehicle. And he took us around. He, he is a good host and a good guide. Yeah, and he's also like very smart. So I can imagine it's it's really interesting to right. guide him. Right, of course, we, we, we have to him. cut all of this out before we release the episode because we don't want him to hear What we that say we, about that him. we really like him, yeah. yeah especially the <laughs> you shouldn't get a bigger head. <laughs> being, being smart and things like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> All right, I've been smart, uh, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> no surprise here. I know <laughs> good, that you're smart. <laughs> good segue, hey? No, I, I have been uh, fiddling around a little bit with uh, the website, the theesp.eu website, nice. which I hope everybody goes to every day to look at uh, special things. We It should actually be a starting page on your browser. <laughs> It should be, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we had a problem with it last year because uh, it was actually hacked. We didn't have enough protection uh, on, on the things, uh, no condoms or anything, so people could walk right in. Oh, that didn't sound good. Anyway, uh, somebody <laughs> hacked our website, and it could probably be a, a robot or whatever because they and, and, and did a lot of damage, and we had to rebuild it. And some pictures and stuff disappeared for older episode. Every episode has its own picture and some of the old ones disappeared. Some of them, the format got uh, crazy and stuff. And for the older ones, we restored it as best as we could. And then we just let it. But now I've fixed everything there. And also I have built a, a special index for the interview episodes so you can see them separately or in the normal flow of all the episodes but you can also then look into if you're interested in, in one person for instance if, if you remember there was one person called Annika Merkelbach I don't know what <laughs> happened to her but she was <laughs> she was interviewed twice on this uh, show and now you can <laughs> see exactly which two episodes that there was and of course I found that we have I think it was 118 at the moment, uh, different episodes with interviews. Uh, so uh, quite a lot of interviews yeah. over the last six years or so. Wonderful. Yeah. So what have you been up to? I had a really good week, basically. Mm -hmm. Not much happening. But in Germany, like 
the news broke today or yesterday that actually a tragedy happened in Germany um, wow. about a COVID denier. And sadly, a student was killed on Saturday evening um, by a COVID denier because this student who worked as a clerk in a gas station mm-hmm. told him to put on his mask his face mask and they got into an argument the guy left came back an hour later and shot him in the head wow yeah we're like that was a big bummer i i don't know what to say i i think uh, it's crazy i don't i don't understand what the problem is with just wearing a mask yeah exactly how can you be so crazy it's it's like on, on so many layers like a it's a gas station you don't you're not long in a gas station it's not a week that you have to be in for like an hour because you have to get so much stuff. Now you just go in and pay and then you, you leave. You go in and out. So it's you basically don't even notice the mask. And then it's like, <laughs> I said that to a friend, I couldn't even get angry enough to like kick somebody, <laughs> let alone kill. <laughs> like, I just can't understand that. But yeah, it's, I, I will t- uh, talk about more about that later, um, mm. about COVID deniers and, and violence. Yeah, me too, but, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's sort <laughs> of a theme of a for this episode, uh, episode, yeah. But it's yeah. terrible, terrible. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. That's that, that were the news from Germany, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Apart mm-hmm. from that, yeah, we, we took Luna swimming. Oh, really? <laughs> the, baby the, swim. Yeah, baby swimming. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, we did that as well with our kids when they were little. I must say, go ahead and tell me what you think about it. My recollection of it was that it was a lot of work and I don't know who really enjoyed it, if they did or if we did or if it was <laughs> just a lot of work. But everybody did it, so we, we, we felt we had to do it, sort of. Yeah, we, we didn't go to the official like baby swim uh-huh. because it's super expensive here oh. and like 300 euro or the like. Oh, <laughs> and we were just like, uh, no, not paying that much, like for like 10 times just uh, um, swimming there with other babies. So we, we said like, we just take her swimming by our own, mm-hmm. it's much cheaper this way. So changing me and the baby at the same time is hard. <laughs> like that's a lot of work. But once we're in the water, it's actually nice. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so yeah. I'm glad you yeah, enjoyed we, it. We had, we had fun. And I think... Maybe we should just go over to start the show, right? Yeah, why not? Why not? Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, then I should ask myself, what's happening this week in skepticism? <laughs> Thanks for asking, Annika. <laughs> yeah, this week, on the 20th of September, 1863, a very important person for German, uh, the German language died. And that was Jakob Grimm. Jakob Grimm was born on the 4th of January uh, 1785 and, as I said, died on the 20th of September 1863. He was a German philologist, lawyer and folklorist and also linguist. <laughs> he discovered Grimm's Law. I I know that you probably heard of Grimm's Law before. because I, I have know heard that of Grimm's Law, but uh, maybe not everybody has. Yeah, that's about a, a vowel shift. Not to be confused with the bowel shift, which is yeah. so something to, completely different. It's like, it's not a fart. It has something to do with sounds, though. <laughs> 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 because uh, Grimm's law is um, that sounds shifted from Proto-Indo-European towards Proto-Germanic. For example, the sound B through the centuries shifted to F, D to T, or TH. 
And an example I have for that is that the word pots in Greek, for example, was pos in Latin pace. And in English, that's foot. And in German, that's fuß. And yeah. I think in Swedish, it's fot or something like yeah, that. Or foot. Or foot. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. So the P became an F. Yeah, the P became an For F. For no exactly. good reason other than... Uh, well, but I can imagine, like, just imagine, like, saying it very, very lazily and then, like, foot. So it, become, it just becomes an F, you know what I mean? <laughs> so that was a process that, that Grimm noticed. That's why it's still named after him, Grimm's Law. But, of course, he's way more famous for collecting fairy tales with his or folk tales with his brother. And he was also the editor of Grimm's fairy tales. The fairy tales actually have some disturbing roots in reality. Did you know that? Mm, no. Are they true? Obviously, they're not like you can't take them literally. Like, it's pretty much probably the same as with, like, the Bible or so. You can't say, like, literally this happened, blah, blah, blah. But you can say like, hmm, I wonder if that was maybe the root of. Mm -hmm. So for example, for Snow White, some experts think that Margarete von Waldeck, who was a Bavarian noble lady, would be the, like, the origin of Snow White. She grew up in 16th century Bavaria and her brother, who pretty much was the noble of, the, of this, nobleman of this uh, area, He used small children to work in a copper mine. Sounds sound, Does that sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. And these children were like often disfigured and some of them, because of all the hard work, they were very gray in the face. So they looked like they had beards. And Margarita's stepmother actually despised her and sent her to Brussels where she found... Um, a, a huntsman? No. <laughs> uh, no, not okay. that. <laughs> she, she found a nobleman he started with an affair with, and her father didn't like this, so he sent her one to poison her. And all of that, like some of that, you can actually find in Snow White. <laughs> so yeah. it could be that, that it goes back to her, but we can't say for sure. And another example for things having a true origin is um, Hansel and Gretel. Do you know this story? Yes, I do. For those who don't know, uh, two children are left in the forest, Once they find back um, to, to their parents and another time they don't, then they stumble upon a gingerbread house with a witch in there and so on and so on. And this might go back to a time where um, there was a huge famine in uh, the German region. People actually did, did leave children outside to fare for their own because they couldn't feed them. And there was at that time also a baker who was so good, like she was really good, she was really famous and popular, and someone else who was jealous, another baker, actually accused her of being a witch. And that was the witch hunt there. They burned her to death in her own oven, and that's also... Almost there. But yeah. she, it wasn't a gingerbread house she lived in. It wasn't in. a gingerbread house, no. Okay, so that's some things. Yeah, but, but this like being kicked into your own oven and then burning to death there is is also found in, in Hansel and Gretel. So yeah. there are like things where you can say, hmm, I wonder if that's where they took it from and then like yeah. put a legend it around could it. could be the, the inspiration for some of these legends. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, that's why it's important to, to sometimes look at the true core of things and yeah, enjoy fairy tales, but also keep in mind that there could be some truth behind them. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that was everything about Jakob Grimm. And um, without further ado, I think I would like to go from one fairy tale master to another fairy tale master. <laughs> so, Pontus, do you have something to poke the Pope for? Yes, well, I'll, I'll a short one this week. I don't want to uh, labor every uh, everything he does doesn't justify our interest, etc. But uh, there's something he, he did, as we have talked about. He was in Hungary to visit this Eucharist Congress, and uh, when he goes with his uh, airplane back and forth, he brings journalists, and they. It's been a custom now that they they interview him during the flight. So if you want to be a you get really close to the Pope, you want to be a journalist, and you go on his plane. But on the plane back from Germany, the American journalists there who hadn't been able to do this for a while because of COVID, but they were now there. They asked about excluding pro-choice politicians from the Eucharist from the communion from the holy crackers we we've mentioned this before there's a discussion in in the in the u.s whether joe biden is should be allowed to take the eucharist because he is pro-choice and he uh, wants uh, you know women to have uh, the power of their over their own bodies and decide if, uh, if they want to have an abortion or not so he was asked about this. Francis was asked about this, and his reply was very bewildering. So you can you can actually break it down into five things. The first thing he said was that he has never himself turned anyone away from the communion. So okay, so that that's on one side of the camp. So okay, everybody should get the Eucharist. Then he said, and this is horrific that he said this. He said, according to scientists, abortion is murder. Organs are fully formed after three weeks of development. That I don't know what scientist he has talked with, but that's not a scientist at all. <laughs> that is absolutely wrong on so many levels. So, okay, so everybody should get the Eucharist, but abortion is murder, okay? Third point he brought up is that the Eucharist is for believers and not for excommunicated persons. They cannot participate. So, okay, okay. so now he's talking about excluding people anyway. That doesn't really make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. And, and, this, and the fourth thing he said was that, well, there is a difference, of course, he said, between being excommunicated and being temporarily excommunicated. Mm. And temporarily excommunicated, that's not... A, nobody's heard about that before. So that's something he invented on the fly. <laughs> and then as a, a last part, he said, bishops are pastors. They should be spiritual leaders and they should not be politicians. So that also indicates that we shouldn't exclude Biden. We shouldn't get into that discussion of whether Biden could have the, the holy cracker or not. I, I don't understand. The man is uh, answering yes and no and maybe at the same time. Yeah. So very confusing, and I don't think any of the journalists uh, got any wiser from his replies. Uh, like the whole the whole abortion debate, I just have to me as someone who has a uterus, like who could have potentially have an abortion. I really like the sentence "no uterus, no opinion." Yeah, and that's why it's like like an old guy talking about an old guy who talk about, talks about the body of a person 
who's like something that's not applying to e neither of them. And I'm just like, oh, guys. No, it's it's very strange this obsession uh, with and and the thing about having fully formed organs at three weeks that is nonsense. I, yeah. I you can't <laughs> even find the embryo uh, with your naked eye at the time. Not yeah. just because it's inside somebody else, but even if you had it in front of you, you couldn't see it. It's so small. Yeah, and it's also like, hey, if, if the organs would be fully formed at three weeks, then it would be born at four weeks. Yeah. Like, why would evolution keep something in a body, like, keep needing, like, yeah. energy for nine months if it's already ready? Like... <laughs> yeah, and according to scientists, yeah. my ass. <laughs> I want to, like, want to meet that scientist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Pontus. That was a good poke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. And I think we should now go over to our... News items. And as I already said, we start the news items with a little bit about Querdenker, um, the German COVID denying group or movement, and the question if they're terrorists. After the fatal attack in Ida Oberstein in Rheinland Palatine, the one that I mentioned in the beginning, and an arson attack on the Robert Koch Institute in Berlin that happened a few months ago, people are actually now asking, are Querdenker terrorists? Because they're always threatening. Like, it, it's always a different thing if you have, like, threats or if something's actually happening. And they usually claim their right of self-defense. Um, they say they want to be resistant. And now some experts say there actually can be a moral system be found where acts of violence against people that follow the rules or that enforce the rules would be justified. Some querdenker actually think, yes, it is my right of self-defense if someone tells me to wear a mask uh, that I could shoot him. Um, uh, that's crazy. It is, it is. It, it is like absolutely doesn't make sense anymore. Remind me, uh, what what does querdenker mean? A denker means thinker, right? Yeah. But what and does quer, quer, quer mean? Queer is like something that is like, it's not straight. <laughs> okay, so, so it's the same word as in being queer. Yeah, pretty much. Like, even, even if it's a queer, totally different meaning yeah. in this case. Yeah, queer probably goes back to queer. Yeah, no, thinking yeah. about this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but querdenker is someone that is like, it's like, if, if you want to compare it, so for example, if you skim and scan a text, then you would say quergelesen. Okay. So you just, you don't, read it line by line you just go through it that, like, that makes almost. a lot of sense <laughs> i don't and, think they have read all the lines yeah, exactly <laughs> and queer denken is something like that but do they um, take that as an insult or do they uh, embrace this label i don't think that they embrace it they named themselves that way okay um because they're like oh yeah we're not the sheeple we're not following the lines mm -hmm. <laughs> the problem is that it's now a gathering place of frustrated people and the tensions are very high. And here, like the difference between the freedom of expression and the freedom of speech and the right of self-defense and the line to extremism is like very small and very blurred. It is, it is getting dangerous. Even like policemen and, and everyone, they don't know how it will continue, especially because Germany decided to put like more pressure onto unvaccinated so they they stop the testing for free or they will stop it they f will face that out and that means there will be more pressure on people to get vaccinated yeah so it could lead to more violence 
And to come back to the, the to the question I asked in the beginning, not all Querdenker are terrorists. The problem is there are violent people among them, not all of them, but some. Mm. And the movement itself radicalizes everyone. So like they got more and more extreme. And if you just tell people enough times that it's their right to defend themselves and they're already violent, then things can happen. So yeah. that's the ambivalent answer, um, ambiguous answer, in yeah, a way. right. No, but this, this ties very well into an email that we got from listener Claudio in Italy. And I actually meant to bring this up last week, but it somehow it fell between the cracks. But it fits into this story very well, because uh, Claudio wrote an email and said that on uh, 9th of September, the Italian police arrested eight persons that were planning terrorist attacks, or terrorist actions, rather. And they were planning this on a telegram group with uh, about 200 members. And they were talking about assaulting journalists that would cover an event that was upcoming, which was uh, demonstrations uh, against uh, restrictions and, and COVID restrictions. And they were talking about Molotov cocktails and uh, burning 5G antennas. <laughs> We've heard <laughs> that one before. And even there was a plan to use a drone to drop a small bomb on the parliament or maybe on the house of the prime minister, Mario wow. Draghi. And uh, at least one of those uh, eight people had fire weapons at home. So first of all, thank you very much, Claudio, for, for sending us that email. I'm sorry we didn't talk about it last week. But it also ties into this that, I mean, are we getting to the place now where people who are, uh, they are getting so radicalized that they are resorting to that kind of measures? The Milan prosecutor's office is now investigating whether there is a wider network of extremists in this movement. The Minister of the Interior, Luciana Lamorghese, she said that, quote, the risk is that there are extremists that are going to these uh, demonstrations and also that they reach people who uh, would not have that tendency. Uh, that is Google Translate. I'll editorialize on the fly here. What she's trying to say, I think, is that <laughs> the risk is that there are probably f not that many, but there are a few very radical elements here. And the risk is that they can reach out to other people who, who goes to the demonstration because they are anti-vax or anti-masks or whatever. So extreme tendencies could spread outside the core fanatical groups. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because we can see that in both news articles we had, like these movements are dangerous. And it's also interesting how you can find COVID deniers that are usually also anti-vax. And to battle that, there's actually a new brochure out or the brochure is a bit older already, but it's got published in you. Mm -hmm. And that is Impfen, Grundlagen, Wirkung und Risiken, um, or in English, vaccinations. Please English, yes. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the German podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> vaccinations, basics, effects and risks. It's now has now been published in a special edition of the Federal Agency for Civic Education, obviously in German. Uh, that means because it is by the federal agency, you can usually get it for much cheaper price. So I think this one is now for five euro instead of 10. So mm -hmm. easily half. And um, the book is about the history of vaccines, how infections work and how vaccines then work. Mm. So 
very good um, if you need some more facts and information right. to help battle the misinformation around anti-vax stuff. <laughs> yeah, the, the big challenge, of course, is to get these querdenkers to read it and yeah. to believe what it says. But, exactly. Uh, <laughs> for uh, rational people, it may be really good. <laughs> okay, change of topic and to something that may be good news. I don't know. Maybe I'm too quick to call this good news, but it could be. In Swedish politics, they may, there may be signs of religion being on its way out, at least partly. Sweden, of course, is famous for being very secular. But we still do have um, one religious-based party in the parliament, so that's one. It's been there for, for a long time, even though my position and a skeptical position overall is that religion does not have a place in how a country is governed. I, I think you agree and our listeners agree. Yeah. If you want to be religious, that's up to you. But a country's management should be free from religious influence. And I'm all for being tolerant against people's personal beliefs, but it shouldn't play a part in how a country is run. So anyway, this party, KD, the Christian Democrats, they have... Um, well, at one point, about 20 years ago, they were just above 10% of the voter support, but they are now very well below that. And they are now struggling to keep above the 4% line, which is important because you have to have at least 4% of the votes to uh, get any members in the Swedish parliament at all. So if you're below 4%, then you're out. Mm. So they are now at 4.9%, I think, and they are close to this critical line. And also, there's another thing. Over the last years, there have been an increasing criticism against so-called confessional schools or religious schools. And I've talked about this uh, here on the show from time to time. The two major parties, which are the Social Democrats and the so-called Moderate Party, and the Moderate Party is the traditional right-wing party, they are both for stopping permits for any new confessional schools. So that's good that they've taken that position. And the question is what to do with the old ones, but um, you could at least stop giving new permits for, for new confessional schools. So what happened last week was that the local Social Democrats and the smaller Liberal Party of Gothenburg, they sent an open letter to the parliament calling for a closing also of existing religious schools. The Swedish Democrats, which I don't like, full, full disclosure, <laughs> they are the nutcase national party. They are also sort of on this bandwagon, but they really are there just because they want to ban Islamic schools. So, uh, and we all know why that is. They, uh, you know, I want to stop that too, but it's not because I'm a racist like they are. It's because I'm against all yeah. religious influence into actual education if you want to be religious fine you'd be that on your own time but <laughs> fundamental yeah. education should be scientific and rational and based on, on the real world not on the spiritual world so what i'm trying to say here is that there are tendencies now in sweden that we maybe we will lose the christian democrats in the in the swedish parliament and maybe not immediately, but eventually we will get rid of the religious schools, which I think would be a good thing. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, Annika, how's the situation in Germany? We all know that uh, Angela Merkel has been, up until now, the leader for the Christian Democratic Party, right? Mm. So, so yeah. that, that tells me that Christian philosophy still has a big role in, in German politics. 
Yeah, yeah, it does. And also in schools, like when politicians are inaugurated, they can decide if they want to swear on, I think it's like the law, <laughs> the German law, the German constitution or on the Bible. <laughs> and with schools, it's, it's um, pretty much, <laughs> it's very interesting because, for example, my federal country, North Rhine-Westphalia, if you're uh, becoming a state official, you can also decide if you want to swear on the Bible or not. In the curriculum, it even says the goal of schools is to teach blah, 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 and respect for God. And they <laughs> say, the, the, they use the German word God and... Which God? <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and you can't assume it is a Christian Zeus? God. Like, Zeus? Yeah, they Maybe? just say God. Loki? Yeah, <laughs> and I think like you can, of course, say like, they say God, so it's obviously any kind of God, but it's like worded in a way that you can yeah. can be pretty sure that it's a Christian God. Yeah. To have that in like a general curriculum is, well, it's like I find that very stupid. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not even like the curriculum for re religious education, it's the general curriculum. Yeah, religion is still a big, big thing in, in Germany and in German schools and yeah. So, but, but how secular are people in general? Do do your neighbors, friends, family, do they often go to church on Sunday or is it unusual? I think the evangelical churches are like a bit on the rise right now. Mm -hmm. So especially with COVID, but also before. Um, but apart from that, people are more and more secular. Right. It's like you said before, like if someone is religious, you probably won't notice it because they they don't like brag with it. Okay. Yeah. Except for when they're evangelical. <laughs> yeah. And that, like, as I said, like, that's still growing. But apart from that, like, most people are not really, uh, like, more secular than religious now. It's interesting. Swedish parliament is always opened officially every autumn. And uh, then, of course, the king is involved. He has a very, very small role in, in the Swedish government nowadays. But one thing he does is that he opens the parliament officially once a year. And then there is always a religious service. You go to church. All the, the members should go to church and, and do that. But it is voluntary nowadays. It's not voluntary for the king because the king has to be a Protestant. If he would change that, he would have to abdicate according to the constitution or the founding laws of, of Sweden. But that's for historical reasons and nobody pays too much. <laughs> uh, attention to that what i'm getting at is that since this is a voluntary thing going to the church service the swedish humanists have done something very good they have an alternative secular ceremony that you can go to instead mm. and that's quite uh, i think a third of the members now go to that one instead to church and i i applaud that that's good yeah that's like it's really good mm. And also that there is an alternative. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. If you want to go to church, please go to church. But uh... You can do it, but don't pressure anyone else. <laughs> right. And about pressure, <laughs> the whole humankind is uh, under pressure because the UN is now warning politicians that their steps are not big enough. The climate plans of over 100 countries, so they examined over 100 countries, and no plan is going far enough. So nobody is nobody. Uh, good enough. Yeah, nobody's okay. good enough. Shit. Emissions would need to be cut by 45% to 
avoid the worst, worst outcomes. Yeah. But emissions are instead of that, uh, they're set to rise by 16%, not 60, 16%. So at what date, what year are we talking about? Until 2050, I think they said. Okay. Which means that we will go over the, the wanted goal of 1.5 degrees warmer. And with that, we will go to 2.7 degrees warmer. Hmm. And this is really dangerous, especially for the poorest countries, uh, because they are most at risk with rising sea levels, with extreme weathers like heat and drought. And this should be a priority. But yeah, it, it is it is hard to see because, like, for example, China still wants to emit until 2030 and then, then want to achieve carbon neutrality by 2060. And it's too late. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what do you have to lose, guys? Like, oh yeah, just the planet. Okay, good. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So it's 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 not funny. It's really hard to see and depressing. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. the good but news I wanted think, to give. But do you think? I mean, this summer there were a lot of natural disasters yeah. all over the world yeah. and in Germany. Yeah. Floods not far from where you live, yeah. Annika, and uh, other places there were. The, the huge fires in Siberia, in the US, in, mm. in, in, it felt at the time, like a, a month ago, it felt like the world was about to wake up and, and there was a lot of, if you read the news in the media, are, are we waking up, do you think? Or is it uh, just, was just a flash in the pan and, and then people go on their business as usual anyway? I think it... Uh... I think they're not waking up. I think a lot of people are waking up, but not enough people. And I think the problem is, it, it is like an actual preaching to the choir problem again, hmm. because those people who are already awake, they want to change things and they will, for example, vote politicians that will do the right things. But people that are like, oh, that's not man-made, or I don't care about that, I will be dead anyway. So, or like, you know, like they that don't care, it's hard to persuade them. Yeah, it's just not enough. Right. It's good efforts, but it's not enough. And I think it will either need to get much, much worse, or we need yeah some ingenious technology that that still needs to be in, uh, gets invented. Right. Right. Well, I don't want to sound like a socialist, but <laughs> it's all about money. And um, yeah. at the moment. At least in Sweden, I think in, in the rest of Europe too, at least north of Europe, uh, electricity prices is rising very top level. I, I don't know why. I haven't looked into that, but I've seen the headlines. I haven't had time to inform m myself about why. But at the moment, electricity is super expensive, which in a way could be a good thing, come to think of it, because then you would think that people started to save and also factories, of course, started to look into how can we save energy because it's too expensive. On the other hand, it has led to some coal plants being started up. So it's not just that it's expensive. It's, it is expensive because there's a shortage of electricity. That's usually how it works. Yeah. So now we're firing up coal plants. Mm. Uh, there was one in Denmark, I believe, just the other day that went online, which normally is used only in wintertime. But now they've fired it up because it was uh, they had to because they needed electricity. Yeah, and I think like it's about money, but I think it also goes back to human rights in a way because 
we only need that much en much energy and much money <laughs> because a yeah, people want to be rich <laughs> but also we have more and more people that the planet has to sustain and we only have that many people because not everybody has the same rights so right I think like if I would be like a politician, I would probably do something like form a world government that actually has power. Not a secret government. Yeah, with, not, a, not a secret With cabal. lizards and things. <laughs> yeah, it's like an actual government like the yeah. UN, but that's the whole yeah. world and actually has power. And then it does that. And, and it says like, hey, it's for everyone. We have to keep the planet alive. So... We so do this and that. What you're that. for, a, a benevolent uh, dictatorship yes. across the world. Okay. <laughs> Good luck with that. I, I don't think the Thanks. problem, I think, is that human rights are cheap and electricity is expensive. And yeah. so guess where the money is going. Sorry for yeah. being such a pessimist. Yeah, but it's it's a hard topic and it will, be, it will stay yeah. a hard topic for the next centuries. Yeah. Okay. There's another topic we have uh, come to revisit here time and time again. And this is from our special correspondent in the UK, Professor Edsard Ernst. He has reported now on a new example of how homeopaths get it wrong all the time. This is just a classic example. You hear us say sometimes that there's no good study or no good reports that support the idea of homeopathy. Homeopaths, they disagree, of course. And here's a new report that they will refer to in the time, in times to come. And uh, I will tell you, or rather through Edsard Ernst, we will tell you why it's absolutely without merit. It's a shocking paper, as Edsard puts it in his usual ironic way. So it concerns five patients in a hospital in Jerusalem, and they were treated for covid so already there, you can tell it's not a huge study, five people, but it gets worse. The paper claims that all five of them, and that's that's 100% people of uh, patients involved in this study, they responded positively on homeopathic medicine. They all claimed, uh, in their own words, that they felt better within only hours of getting their little globules, those globuli, as you say in, in, in Germany, right? Mm. These yes, little <laughs> white, uh, well, spherical pills, very small, that if you analyze them all, you will only find sugar. So yeah, it's a miracle. They got better from sugar pills. The thing is that there are several things, actually. So one is that if you believe in homeopathy, it is supposed to be individualized for each patient. So that's what we hear from the fans. The homeopath sits with a patient for at least an hour or more to determine exactly what little sugar pill is the perfect pill for that particular patient. It wasn't like that in this case. They, they skipped that step. And not just that. The paper even fails to mention what kind of homeopathic remedy they got. So we know that all those globalies, they are indistinguishable from each other. But the homeopaths say that they are different from each other. But even a homeopath can't tell them apart. It's just sugar. Yeah, who who could tell them apart? Like, that's actually the um, <laughs> challenge by the Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathy. Further, there were no control group to compare with. So uh, how do you know if it helped? If you don't compare to somebody who didn't get homeopathic pills, then you don't know if this was good or not. Also... When it comes to it, they all received normal treatment as well. 
So how do you know if it was the homeopathy that uh, made them well? You, you can't tell. <laughs> so that is the, the quality, quote-unquote, of the studies that homeopaths refer to when they claim that there are studies that support their mumbo-jumbo. So only five patients, no control group, not even a mention of what kind of pills they got, and they all got real medicine as well. And then the authors claim that they have shown that homeopathy works. <laughs> so, and the, the the real danger here is that other homeopaths will read this study or read uh, hear of this study, and they will conclude that homeopathy actually works. So the the risk is then that they will not bother with real medicine, or they will maybe delay real medicine until it's too late. Uh, how can we get rid of homeopathy? I mean, in in, in the UK, they've come pretty far. Uh, in France, they are also stopped uh, subsidizing homeopathy. So we're just waiting for uh, you, uh, Annika. You and Jens Spahn in in Germany. <laughs> you have to kick out the homeopaths. Yes, yeah. I will. I will put on my really good kick out boots and then. All right. <laughs> kick them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep your keep a camera so we can see what what happens when you do that. I'll film the kicks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pontus. <laughs> That concludes our news segment. And with that, I would like to ask you, Pontus, are you giving out a special award today? Yes, I will. And having bashed religious people earlier in this episode, I will now give a really right award to a priest. Woo! <laughs> actually for taking a political stand so so this is contrary to everything i've said earlier in the show so bear with me there is this swedish priest who is openly gay and has become an lgbtq plus activist over the last decade or so his name is lars gorfelt and he has been of course the target for a lot of abuse and threats from people mm -hmm. but that's not stopping him The Archbishop of the Swedish Church, Antje Jaclén, and by the way, she's a woman, so some uh, kudos to the Swedish Church. They have a female leader. Mm -hmm. Good. Good for them. She recently said that it is impossible to force priests to marry same-sex couples. But uh, Lars Gorfeldt uh, became very angry when he heard this. This is his top boss saying something that he felt was stupid. Mm -hmm. So now he has gone out to say that If priests in the Swedish church can choose to be bigoted like that and not marry same-sex couples, mm. then it's only logical for him, as a gay priest, to refuse to marry heterosexual couples. So that's what he's doing right <laughs> now. And I think that's pretty funny. Yeah. And it's the, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And uh, as I said, he's been the, the, a champion in the church for, for same-sex couples for, for a while. And... Uh, really doing good stuff like in one case he rushed to a hospital to marry a gay couple when one of them was dying and the local priest refused to do it how can you do that yeah on on how I mean, heartless like how cruel as you very well know i'm not religious but if two religious people is there one of them is dying and what they want to do is to get married before it's too late and the local priest says no You're gay. Terrible people. It's just like it takes an, a special kind of cruelty yeah. and heartlessness. Oof, get angry just thinking yeah. about it. 
So he, he has gotten, of course, a lot of backlash for what he's doing, Lars uh, Gorfeldt, and people want to keep him out of the church or, or even worse. But uh, I think he is a little bit of a hero, even though he is a priest working within a religious organization, but he's doing the right thing. So for fighting the good fight from within the church, Lars Gorfeldt gets today's prize for being really right. Well deserved. We need people like him. <laughs> yes, we do. Thank you, Pontus. Thank you. <laughs> that concludes our show. Thank you to you, Pontus, and to our listeners for staying until now. But of course, I don't want to let anyone go without a quote. Today, I've got a quote by Edzard Ernst. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our um, hero and UK correspondent. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, and also part of Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathie. Um, yes, yes. And he wrote the following quote in A Scientist in Wonderland, which is a very good book by him. Quote, The fact that any person or institution, however well respected, praises or adopts something never constitutes proof of anything. It might merely illustrate that even well-educated people or powerful institutions can sometimes commit the silliest and most obvious of mistakes. Ah, yes. Also known as the fallacy of uh, argument from popularity. Yeah. Just because it's popular and everybody thinks it's true doesn't necessarily mean that it is true. Yeah, exactly. So kudos to Edzard Ernst. Um, cool person <laughs> and very knowledgeable. Yes. And that's the end of our episode 292. Mm -hmm. So without further ado... I will now say tschüss. Hello. Goodbye. Wieslat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time. But until then... Please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe The risk is that there are extremisms there are extremisms that extremisms sorry that didn't has <laughs> one two three Wieslat. <laughs>